listening to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Ben Pritchard, and welcome to another episode of the Construction Big Breakfast. Uh, today we'll be diving into uh, a favoured topic of mine, all things digital in construction uh, and I'm really excited today that joining me uh, for our podcast is our special guest Matt Osmond who is the Product Director of 3D Repo. Welcome to the podcast Matt, um, can you give our listeners and viewers uh, a quick little introduction to yourself please? Uh, yep, uh, my name's Matt, as, uh, as mentioned. Uh, I'm the product director at 3D Repo. I've been there for about two years. Prior to getting into software, I worked in mechanical engineering and I worked on major infrastructure projects, Hinkley Point C and Battersea Power Station. Um, I, my role as product director at 3D Repo is largely around the direction of the product, what we do as a, as a cloud construction technology platform, talk to customers, understand their needs, and then, and then talk with the technology team, understand how we can push our product and get on the bleeding edge of, of what the industry needs, basically. Cool, fantastic. And before we get into uh, a little bit more about 3D Repo mm-hmm. and get into sort of further uh, the landscape of digital and construction, the most important question for any guests is uh, what did you have for breakfast? So I, um, I did prep for this and I was planning to have a massive cooked breakfast, but unfortunately uh, logistics got the better of me and I had a croissant at uh, Seven Oaks train station at about midday today, so that was my breakfast. Well, thank you. I mean, I did slightly better with you timing-wise, <laughs> but not much better with you in terms of what I actually had. Uh, I had a, an early call at 8 o'clock, um, so I had to get in a little bit uh, sooner than planned, so I had two bananas and a coffee when I got oh. here. So um, not, the, not the best, but at least healthy. Mm. You know, Could have been a chocolate bar, should have been a chocolate bar. Uh, anyway, um, so let's start off by talking maybe a little bit more about 3D Reaper. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, 3D Repo, as you said, is an open uh, platform, um, all about how you, well, I, got, I was going to say BIM, but that, that's unfair <laughs> to 3D We're Repo, beyond that isn't now, it? We're beyond yeah. that now, uh, especially with things like Safety Base um, that you've been developing mm. in the last couple of years. Uh, but if we start maybe around what makes 3D Repo different um, to some of the other more maybe established and larger um, offerings out there in the market. Yeah, so one of the one of the focuses that we have with 3D Repo, so just for those of you that haven't seen it before, 3D Repo is a, a cloud-based, web-based platform. Um, you can upload your models or you can you sort of drag them in from your common data environment to reduce the, the kind of friction. And then your models get converted into a URL, essentially. So you can then send that URL on Microsoft Teams, an email. You can send it out in a, in a PDF. You can attach it to anything, really. Someone can click that and it's going to take them directly to the 3D model. And you can then set up viewpoints and track other things inside that model, and that will get a URL as well. So if you go into your 3D model and you find something in particular, you want to say, this is what we're going to build next week, need to do your two-week look ahead, three-week look ahead, you can then send that URL out to everyone on the site and go, right, are we all aligned? I've colored that thing in red, I've colored that thing in blue. Um, and that's where we think our USP is. It's that, you know, you've got probably at this point two to three percent of people that are using BIM on a daily basis, that are sort of in that workflow, their titles of BIM manager, you know, digital construction manager and things like that. The other 97% of the people, they're the ones that were sold the dream of what mm-hmm. BIM was going to do to them and they're the ones that are kind of largely ignored by some of the bigger 
the bigger tools. So that's where three repo tries to shine. We try to say, okay, we're going to get those models in. We're going to reduce the friction so that when you need to find an answer to something, you can just get it straight away. You know you're looking at the latest model. Um, you know you're seeing exactly what the bin manager or the construction manager wanted you to see. Um, and for all intents and purposes, for someone that's never used a model before, never navigated a model, the moment they land on that website, they just see an image, essentially. Mm -hmm. And if they choose to then navigate around the image and look a bit more, they can. But if they don't feel comfortable doing that, they don't have to. Yeah, because so, for someone who might not have been involved with quite a large scale model as well, mm -hmm. for, it can be quite a scary proposition yeah. to try and navigate around, try and work out what the data is telling you. Um, and when you have a, um, an intent of creating an environment for collaborative working, you want to try and make it a frictionless journey like you're talking about. And I mm. guess that's the, the real benefit of 3D Repo, it is creating that opportunity to collaborate um, much easier than uh, elsewhere uh, might be. Yeah, and it, it's interesting, the, the density of information in a 3D model is, is kind of insane. If you, if you look at a typical construction project, you could have a federation of many different models that someone could access. That could have the same amount of data as hundreds of drawings, if not thousands, on infrastructure projects. And each one of those drawings has a purpose. You know, you've got your cold water system on floor one of the east wing. Whereas that same person trying to get that information from a BIM model will just load and be zoomed out and just see the whole thing. And they only care about the cold water system on the floor in the east wing. And so by removing some of that friction, allowing people to set up viewpoints and share things, you're kind of helping people guide them to where they need to go so that they don't get too, like you say, sort of, it's a bit of a scary thought to just load up one of these models and look at it. And is some of that sort of simplification of how uh, data is visualised and shared, was that part of how Safety Base um, then came to realisation for you? Yeah, so we worked closely um, with an organisation called Discovering Safety. Uh, we sort of took part in the PAS 1192 Part 6 discussions and, and all that was around saying Health and safety is arguably the most important aspect of construction. Um, you know, we need to make sure people go home safe. Everyone, every meeting I go to, every main contractor has 100% safe on their arm <laughs> or on a, on a tag. So it's important. And yet we were failing that part of the industry by not utilizing this tool that we had. Um, so what we did was we engaged with them, we engaged with the University of Manchester and we, we started to work out and work with them to understand how you can identify risks and things like that in the model. Um, how you can mitigate them so and understanding that although every project is different a trip hazard is a trip hazard and if you encounter a trip hazard on a building project and you're building a slab on a on a train station it's the same hazard and you would mitigate it the same way so part of that is around learning lessons across multiple projects even if the same individuals aren't present mitigating the risks and then communicating the risks when they're about to happen so if you're about to go out and undertake work and your 4d model says this is where we're working today. You can see if any risks have been raised, what their sort of impact is, and communicate that during your kind of stand-up or your toolbox talks or your RAMs. You know, so it's about getting it front and center and doing things that you couldn't do on a spreadsheet. Or you could do on a spreadsheet, but it wouldn't be effective and it wouldn't be safe, really. No, and anything you can visualize mm. in a model, it just makes it easier for people to, to see, understand, and appreciate. Yeah. Um, I guess you know a lot of um, toolbox talks and things like this in the past you know when people are just talking to you mm. about things it can be sometimes hard to to really understand 
um, and trigger what you mean. But if you can actually see, here's a hazard, this is what it looks yeah. like, and this might be what happens to you if, uh, uh, if you get the wrong side of the hazard, you appreciate it a lot more and you appreciate how to avoid it a lot more. So I think you know, safety base is a, a great example of how utilising um, sort of digital technology in a much better way mm. can um, just help the industry massively. Um, you know, we've been great for years at collecting data, a bit rubbish, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, then turning that into insight, yep. which is exactly what Safety Base does. Yep. Um, and I mean, how have you, you mentioned previously, and sorry if I get this wrong, you've been with 3D Repo two, two, two years. years. Yep. Two years, there you go, I've got it wrong. Like I <laughs> um, but 3D Repo has been around for... Uh, eight or nine now, eight I think, nine. from inception. Yeah. So I think, you know, there must be a massive shift in, even in the two years you've been there, in the, the, the conversations you're having and the questions being asked of you mm. by the industry. Um, Especially with the pandemic. I mean, okay. giving people access to visualising the project when they don't have access to a window. Like, I used to sit at a desk and I could look out the window and see a project. For a lot of people, that's gone now. So how do you give that same level of understanding about what's happening, where everything is, what the logistics strategy is? Um, and so, yeah, those conversations are changing things uh, pretty massively, and that's part of the shift to online as well. You know, you, you can't necessarily store everything locally in your office because you need to share it with other people who are... I was going to say the, the, the cloud-based element of 3D Repo must have been a blessing uh, yeah. <laughs> during COVID because it is so easy to... To share, it doesn't matter what someone's laptop can do performance-wise quite so much. Well, we, we do take those models and we do sort of crunch them down so we optimise them. So we are helping people with lower specification computers manage models. But what we're also doing is just getting rid of that whole licensing problem, the whole need for IT to have to deploy update software. You know, we're, we're on about a rolling two-month schedule with updates. Uh, we've got an update coming out in... Um, at the end of this month, so or hopefully at the end of this month, if the QA goes well. Um, so I guess a little pitch out that you know we're going to have a webinar out there with the, the new features, and hopefully people like what we've done. Um, but if we were deploying that as a desktop application, every two months we'd have to go out to all our customers' IT teams and go, here's a new executable, you need to go distribute that to all of your team. And that's why you tend to find people, you know, aside from BIM execution plan complications and, and file format issues, we find a lot of people using software versions that are two years out of date because they just can't get through that IT barrier, get the software updated, get everyone in the team working on the same version so that when they save a file, it's compatible with someone else's. You know, the benefit of cloud is we just push the update and everyone gets it straight away. Yeah, because, um, I mean, interoperability mm. is so hard <laughs> for the industry. <laughs> yes. Um, and some of it, well, a lot of it is legacy issues legacies of different uh, softwares, different silos, uh, and different languages uh, mm. to, to an extent. So, you know, the more that you can modernize that and turn it into more of a frictionless cloud-based solution, the better for everyone. Um, yeah. Because the issue that you hear a lot of people talking about with BIM is when they start exporting models and some complications where what they're exporting to IFC might not quite line up with what others are and it all just gets a bit, you know, the universal yeah. translator doesn't quite work, I guess is a, a simple way of putting it. And that really erodes trust in the process. We're all out here sort of espousing this 
grand idea, we all go to Digital Construction Week, we see the talks, other people see that we're doing that, and then when they see it in action and it fails, you lose a year of that person's kind of enthusiasm. You've got to build that back up again. And that's one of the major challenges where we've got this interoperability problem. I mean, as I mentioned, I come from a manufacturing background, so when we did that... You I, shake your head at construction. <laughs> why? Well, I, I must admit, I came in, my family come from construction, so that's why they were like, oh, we do 3D stuff over here, come in here. And I came in with all my naivety and kind of, oh, I can do this, this is easy. And then I had a very hard five-year learning period. Of, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. This is much harder than I thought. And a lot of that is, you know, when I worked in manufacturing, I would design a component, I would sit next to the manufacturing engineer, he would design the tool, I'd go down onto the shop floor, we'd watch it get made. The entire process from inception to production involved maybe five people. Whereas to build a building, it, it thousands, and every single one of those relationships has a, basically a stress raiser. And, you know, you, there's a chance that there's a communication problem. And if you compound, that, that effect compounds across a project. Yeah, I mean, when we're going a little bit away from uh, digital <laughs> a little bit, but I get one of the key differences there as well is um, when in your manufacturing background, the outcome that you were all trying to achieve was the same. Yeah. Whereas in construction, it's not necessary, you know, not everyone cares about the end building or not everyone is encouraged to care as much about the end building yeah. as you were. You know, you're all trying to achieve the same goal. Not yeah. quite the same in construction. Yeah, I imagine you could have an entire podcast about the perverse incentives in construction <laughs> and, and the lack of... But, to clarify, we love construction. <laughs> yeah. It could just be a little bit better. <laughs> and, and that, but that's part of the legacy. You know, we, we have forms of contract that exist to prevent bad behaviour, but then and it, it wipes out a lot of that bad behaviour, but then it creates another bit of bad behaviour. And, and digital is constantly fighting that battle to, to make sure that we're slotting in well and not conflicting with those kind of incentives. What do you see as the greatest barrier then to uh, better adoption of digital in the industry? I, I think there's a cultural challenge and I, I, it's hard to put, it, it's hard to, uh, to kind of diagnose the, the reason why it exists. But I think in part it's because we're so used to building something once you have to do it right first time. You don't get a redo. You don't, you don't get to mold a component, look at it and go, oh, that's rubbish, I need to change something. But once it's built, it's done. And very rarely do we ever take that learning and, and use it somewhere else. Mm. But I think sometimes we take that mental model and apply it to other things where everything has to be perfect first time. So when, when we talk to people in the procurement stage, looking at software, looking at their digital technologies, they're trying to get to a point where they get it perfect. And I know it, it's a fair, it's, it's a good outcome, but I think sometimes we get in our own way and, and we miss the opportunity to just be better than what we were today. Not perfect, but just a little bit better. And then if we keep doing that, that, that kind of, that mentality of continuous improvement yeah, the, is, um, is kind of... The, the old sky, 1%, uh, incremental gains, mm. uh, and even you know, more of a, you, know, you see day to day, I guess, you know, agile development. Yeah. That constant rather than like you say, it's got to be gold-plated, excellent, or nothing, <laughs> yeah. nothing will do. Um, the idea of releasing something that will have bugs mm. <laughs> um, might not quite work and might need a, a version 2.1 very quickly is just, you know, you'd make some engineers shiver with it. Yeah, and I, th I think that the, the, the kind of impact of that is that there's a lot of 
not necessarily young people, but people that are willing to learn in construction, in the same way I learned, is how I learned about digital things. I had to go out and on a lot of instances, and this is actually how I got in touch with 3D Repo in the first place, I bought a 3D Repo license with my personal credit card because I wanted to learn how it worked. Because no one on the project I was working on wanted to use new tools. And as an individual, you're risking your career getting impacted by the fact that your project isn't using tools that you could learn from. And I think that's part of the challenge is that we're not, that, that some people are then missing the opportunity to learn, which then means they miss the opportunity to improve. And, and so I think that, and a lot of our customers get it right where they maybe have skunk works, where you know we're not aiming for to release something. We're just aiming to test things out, understand the state of the art, figure out what's going on, and then we'll take some of that learning and apply it to projects. Uh, and the great thing uh, with 3D Repo and, uh, and digital uh, technologies in general is that it's an environment that you can fail mm. and have little consequence. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can test, you can push the boundaries of what you can build. Mm. Um, you can see, would this work? What if I put this system in? What impact would that have on energy consumption and you know, the amount of carbon I create? What if I you know, try to use timber frame instead? Would yeah. that work? What are the... Um, would it would it stand up or would it not? All these type of questions you can do and you can ask mm. if you provide enough time. Yeah, days. that's another challenge, isn't it? But and that is the the cultural challenge to actually think that progress can be made without sticking a shovel in the ground. Mm. Um, that you can spend all that time or a lot more time upfront designing it right, optimizing it, and ultimately creating a better product. If we can get there then, you know, everyone. It won't be the 2-3% yeah. using, <laughs> uh, using models. It'll be the 90%, hopefully. Mm. And I think that it's coming slowly with uh, off-site. Off-site's mm -hmm. definitely an enabler of that because you're hopefully using the same components across multiple projects, and, and albeit the project might be different, but the way that you install that thing and QA it and everything, that's the same. Um, and then also, I mean, we're seeing with a few of our customers, the frameworks, like the schools frameworks and things like that, where they are kind of settling on a method of construction that is consistent. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to improve over time, build more schools, better schools, mm -hmm. which is, I think we can all agree, an important thing for... Certainly, you're right, yeah. you're seeing a lot of the government departments, MOJ, mm -hmm. uh, education, all of these, where they've got a nice programme of works, um, and that's where they, they're both there's a strong correlation, I guess, isn't there, between off-site and digital coming together because they can see that um, strong uh, program that they want to continuously learn and improve and save 10% per project they're on. Mm. Um, so that's the, I guess, the joined-up thinking demand side um, to, to help supply side be better. Yeah. Um, but um, Tim um, always says the supply side needs to do better to um, try to think what his words are uh, he's, like, he's done a podcast about it as well it's about um, uh, sort of creating ownership in mm. the sales process you know don't wait too much to be told what you're going to build try and encourage them to understand how you can help them build uh, better and more yeah um, you mentioned a white paper yes um, around uh, hosting data that you've just released yeah last month I think it came out yeah uh, so what was the white paper covering so we're just looking at, there's a few, you know, with, with cloud hosting and, and, you know, with some of our 
there's a lot of us in the market. There's, we've got big competitors, small competitors, uh, big friends, small friends. Um, but the whole idea of offering up your data to a third party for them to store um, can be quite a challenge. Uh, and understanding what the impact of that is. A lot of people that we talk to talk about ownership of data. And it's about showing people that, yes, ownership of data is one thing, but you can also grant people a license to that data. You can continue to own it. But are you aware that you're giving away a license for someone else to reuse it? And what does that mean in five years' time in the industry? You know, we see it in, in other industries where masses of data is collected and then used to create machine learning algorithms that then mitigate the need for the original creator of the of the, the data. So there's a challenge there and it's about understanding, you know, what do we look at when we, we when we talk about data residency, when we talk about self-hosting. Uh, own cloud deployments. You know what are the challenges there? Self-hosting can be seen as a and 3D Repo does offer self-hosting as a kind of plug. So if you are working on high security projects, you can self-host. But the challenges there are, you know, what if you go from five users to a hundred users? Suddenly you've got to beef up your servers. Uh, you've got to manage the the DevOps for that. And and although it seems like a nice idea, there are still challenges there. But they're just different challenges. So it's just about helping people understand that kind of landscape. The, um, I guess those models, um, I mean, you already mentioned how dense they are with data, mm -hmm. that data overlaps um, with federated models increasingly having more and more metadata in. Mm. Who owns what and is responsible for what um, is a whole different conversation that um, the industry, insurance and construction, uh, we will be struggling with. Um, but on that note, believe it or not, we've been talking for nearly half an hour. Oh, well. um, so we need to wrap up. Um, thank you uh, for joining me today. Um, I certainly found it insightful and I hope our uh, listeners did. Um, if anyone is interested in getting in touch with you uh, or would like to learn more about 3D Repo, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, yeah, so if you go to 3drepo.com, we've got a little chat bubble like everyone does these days in the corner. You can, you can do that and if you chat there, you'll hit up one of, one of my team or one of the sales guys and we can talk you through things and yeah, just talk about the, the landscape. We've got the white papers on there as well and, and sort of case studies and things like that. Fantastic and uh, I'm sure uh, DCW, UK Construction Week and all the, uh, the big ones, you're at most of them, aren't you? Yeah, we're all of those. They take up so much time planning things, making sure demos go smoothly because we live demo all of those events as well it's, yeah, and it, a lot of people get scared about doing that a lot of software vendors because you're at risk of I'm sure thousands that. of people seeing it go wrong but it, it that's the prep there is uh, but it's worth it it's it nice is worth it people. it is and you're always one of the more, more fun <laughs> places to come look um, so wonderful um, to everyone who's uh, watched today many thanks uh, for tuning in hope you enjoyed this episode of the Construction Big Breakfast uh, we have a new episode uh, out most weeks so please make sure that you like subscribe and share so that you uh, get a notification for the next episode and all your friends do too. Uh, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or looking to collaborate, uh, please visit us at www.invent.com. Uh, the link's in the description, uh, fill out the contact form uh, and one of our team will be in touch. Uh, so for now, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too.
Be sure to tune in for our next episode.